You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, we're presented by Progressive Insurance. One of the biggest questions lingering from Deshaun Watson was what would happen to the Texans? And we started to wait today. Wait a minute. Hold mm-hmm. on no, a second. Yeah. Yeah. I, we're get, wait, hold on. We're going to get to this NFL story, but you seem to have forgotten that we were going to have a little conversation about you being one of the stars Mm -hmm. of a music video that has taken the internets by storm today (laughs) in ways uh, somewhat positive, but maybe also negative. Uh, Fitz, you are a full-fledged video vixen. Welcome to the club. I myself have starred roughly um there's a big asterisk on starred but just let's leave it there and move on i myself have starred asterisk in three music videos uh this i believe is your first uh well no this is this is my first I mean, not like counting the ones w- that you were you know in a not band. counting the ones where i'm a musician in where yeah, i'm just coming yeah. in for my now pure good looks and acting vixen. skills yes now totally i'm a video vixen different vibe when you're a video vixen and not a fiddle player slash band member so you're part of this music video and early today you post about it you're like hey thanks so much to walker hayes aka classy like applebee's guy for putting me in his music video so cool uh, and you had about what two hours to enjoy that? Yeah, I think there was about two hours where yeah, y'all life is a song. This is a little y'all life for you, but yeah, we 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 the, y'all play life us, is the song. Us a and little y'all life. Oh, okay. uh, this is Walker. This is I mean, like it's Walker AI, doing his thing. It's what Walker does. This is, this is like if AI wrote a country song. <laughs> like, <laughs> put it to a computer. Country song, and they were like, well, I don't know, football, Jesus, y'all, eh, there it is, that's it. Okay, so you get about two hours of everyone being like, hey, is that Jason Fitz in the new Walker Hayes commercial? Uh, music oh, yeah, like I didn't even know it was it was up yet, and then somebody tweeted and was like, is that a Jason Fitz cameo? And I was like, wow, I look thin, I look good, things <laughs> feeling right, Cats everything's good popping. about it. Yeah, oh, yeah, oh. and then... Shortly thereafter, the uh, official handle for the SEC decided to post, Hey, Walker Hayes, this song is a banger. We should do a collab. This has got to be the song of the football season. And not everyone agreed that it was a banger or that it should be the song of the football season to the point that they had to delete the tweet and the video off their timeline. It says a lot about my friends that I got more texts about it being pulled down than I did in support of my cameo. That's all I'm saying. Like the number of people that were, and look, I, you know, I, I saw it and I'm getting all excited. Then I went out, I did college football live today. I'm hanging out with, you know, Ryan McGee and Sam Ocho and we're talking college football and I, I, I'm off the worldwide interweb for roughly an hour and a half and I'm thinking I'm having a good day. And then all of a sudden, bam. I get hit over and over and over again with reminders that uh, maybe, maybe it's not everybody's cup of tea. I will tell you on on TikTok, you know, as the kids use, uh, he's already over a million views for the dance for this one, which is where they do. I mean, this this is wild. We all had a bit too much fancy like Applebee's because that Applebee's commercial ran in every sporting event known to man, every commercial break. It was clearly a hit for him. He had great success. It crushed on the TikToks. It crushed on the commercial. And now his follow-up to Fancy Like is Y'all Life. And not everyone's going to love it uh, because that's what happens when you get big.
people turn on you. Also because, again, an AI probably wrote the song and he just performed it. Um, but this does bring me to my illustrious career as a video vixen that I will briefly mention. Uh, and maybe we'll put up a poll and see who did a better job of, uh, of being a video vixen, you or me. Um, the first one was Italian Britney Spears, Laura Pauchini. Uh, oh. This is a story I've told before where uh, I auditioned to be a girlfriend who was being abused by her boyfriend. The song was about being in chains, you're trapped. Uh, we arrived uh, after I earned the part and hung out on set for about an hour, and they decided I seemed more likely to be abusive than the man cast as my boyfriend, so they switched it, and I was the <laughs> girlfriend, if that tells you anything about the energy that I bring to a set. Uh, secondly... Uh, I was in the Trace Atkins video for Ladies Love Country Boys, chasing Trace Atkins around the streets of downtown Chicago. And then most recently, when I was working hard covering the Gronk boat for ESPN, uh, one of Flo Rida's friends, Gorilla Zoe, filmed the music video for his, uh, his song, uh, it's something about Red Solo Cup, but it's not that. It's about a solo cup. And uh, he filmed it on Gronk Island in the Bahamas where we were. So I also uh, make some appearances in that. So I am now thrice a video vixen. The the funniest thing to me about doing this video, the two things that were funny, is that the director of this video walked up and was like, you look familiar. And I was like, yeah, you, you did the Better Dig 2 video for the band Perry where I had this big fiddle solo that I spent hours filming from every angle, as you know, that they do in that. And then when I saw the video come out, just as the fiddle solo was about to come to me, they put me in complete shadow and went to Kimberly, the singer's face, as she went, woo! And that's all they showed, so I didn't get any camera time. And then the other thing is the the photography people came up. They're like, we just need you to be an over-the-top announcer, and maybe like just we'll give you a count, and then you give us a scenario. And so it took maybe 90 seconds of my life to yell like an idiot, like there was a play happening, and they were like, I think we got it. You're a natural at this. So I learned that, you know, Emmy-worthy performance in the video, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure I'm gifted. Well, we'll find I don't out. know. We'll, we'll put up yeah. a poll and see. All right, did you have some <laughs> NFL news that you wanted to get Yeah, to? let's get to the NFL news. Uh, and for anyone that hasn't heard it, the Texans have settled the lawsuits with 30 women that were part of the Deshaun Watson case. Uh, th there are some differing opinions on what this all means. But, Sarah, most importantly, the Texans were clear in their statement that they're not admitting any guilt, that they think this is an important thing to do for anyone that's a victim and they just want to move on to the next chapter. But realistically, this closes the door on getting any information more, any more information on the involvement the Texans may or may not have had in this entire situation. Yeah, it's a it's we don't know a lot because we don't have the the specifics around what happened. And later on in the show, I think we'll listen to Adam Schefter's take, which appears to be that they felt like the NFL knew enough and they were off the hook and they're good to go. And then Mina, who had a bit of a different take on it, which was why isn't the NFL looking into this and caring about the Texans' behavior? Two very different approaches to this, and uh, I think when we don't know the qual the qualifications of the settlement, it is easy to fall back on, listen, Deshaun's gone, they want to move on. And so they're willing to just say, we're not admitting guilt, but we want to be done with this. That's entirely plausible. It's also very plausible that they understand that if this goes to trial and the details come out, there is more to be learned about their role, particularly since the NDA that Deshaun Watson was helped with came out after at least one accuser publicly on Instagram called out his behavior. So they knew that something was going on. They knew why he was asking for it. So it wasn't a simple matter of I'm worried that someone might say or do something or that I might get myself in trouble. It was reactive, not proactive. That makes a difference to me.
Yeah, I think at the end of the day, when you when you look at the way all of this was handled and then you look at what the league has done since, this only mirrors what the league has been doing for the last year when it comes to controversy. They they don't want to be right or wrong. They just don't want to be transparent. Mm-hmm. They don't want anyone 100%. to know what they're doing. And at some point, you know, whether we're talking about Dan Snyder in Congress, where we're talking about John Gruden in emails, where we're talking about Deshaun Watson and all of these accusations, the one thing the league is trying to do is not give any of us any information. And at some point, they may be able to, they obviously can figure out a way to do that legally, but that doesn't mean that we all have to accept that as the acceptable next step. I mean, there at some point, there has to be accountability, and that's what, Money is is handling accountability in the eyes of the Texans, but there's still no accountability to the NFL, and that's what's maddening to me. Mm-hmm. Agreed. All right, We're, we'll keep breaking it down over the course of the show, but we got to get into some NBA news because all of a sudden the rumor mill is fired up. The Knicks and the Jazz are discussing trade packages for Donovan Mitchell. We'll get you the latest next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. God, the boy band loving me is strong. Jason Fitz, Sarah Spain, ESPN Radio presented by Progressive Insurance. Protect the stuff you love with renter's insurance. Visit Progressive.com. The Knicks don't need renter's insurance, but they are looking to buy right now as they are trying, look at that segue, to acquire Donovan Mitchell. We all knew that the minute Donovan Mitchell was rumored as part of uh, trade opportunities, that one of the teams that everybody would put him with are the Knicks. Now, I've gotten in trouble in the past and made it very clear that I don't think the Knicks are a destination for most people anymore. But he is from New York, and this could be a situation where he wants to go back to where he's from and play for the team he grew up with. That's That all makes incredible sense. The question is, Sarah, if you're the Knicks, how aggressive are you willing to be? Because according to reports, the Knicks have offered several first-round draft picks and have had the response of, no, that's not enough. Yeah, I mean, right now this is a tough time for any deal to get done because you don't really know what other teams are interested. So many are waiting to see where the dominoes fall when it comes to KD and some other deals. So this feels like the place that Mitchell has been destined to go to. The Knicks have been interested forever. But Utah wants picks and rookie-scale players over guys that are going to help them win now. Because they want to go into tank mode. That's why they're getting rid of Gobert and Mitchell. They want to have financial flexibility as they're doing so. And there isn't really anyone else out there that can offer them what they want. So it's a matter of who's going to blink first. Do the Knicks want him badly enough to give them what they want? And does Utah feel like they're willing to give him up um, and, and that the Knicks won't figure out that they're the only real people in the game that can give them what they're looking for? In some ways, the entire NBA offseason for some of these big transactions feels like a game of chicken. And, you know, that's part of why Woj said earlier today that negotiations could take weeks, right? And so if you're looking at weeks of this back and forth, and and frankly, if you're the Knicks, I don't know that you hate the thought of another team at least making an offer because then you have some idea of what fair market value looks like. Right now you're bidding against yourself, and the Jazz continue just to say, well, we want the sun, the earth, the sky, all of it. you know. And, and so it's hard to find that middle ground without somebody else getting involved in it. you got to have patience. The other question is, is the acquisition of Mitchell something that would make the Knicks a great team? That is something that ESPN NBA analyst Jeff Van Gundy talked about on Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max. It's hard to play defense if you're gonna in this league if you're gonna have a six one six two off guard and an undersized point guard with, with Brunson as well. 
I think it would be very, very challenging defensively with that lineup. Now, offensively, they'd be a lot more explosive. Uh, Certainly, their three-point volume would go up. Uh, The ability to uh, attack the basket would be uh, much better. But if you look back at the other guy they paid big money to in Julius Randle, he's absolutely dominated the ball. And I think questions about how uh, Brunson and Randle fit together are legitimate. I think questions about how Brunson, Mitchell, Randle, Barrett would fit together with all being like dominant uh, ball handling type of guys. And can they fit together and do they complement each other? I think those would be all legitimate questions. Yeah, Go ahead, sir. I was going to say, I mean, that's part of the issue here is you have a super athletic young player with a tremendous wingspan who has a big upside, but there's a lot of questions. Where's the effort on D? I mean, that's one of the issues that caused the, the friction, the, the frictures, the fissures, I think is what I was looking over the friction with uh, Rudy Gobert. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. That the, the, the defensive problems. And then he's a ball dominant guy who you're trying to fit in with other guys. That's why a lot of folks, and I was listening to the low post podcast and they broke this down perfectly. Miami is the place in terms of being able to use his skill set while hiding some of his lesser qualities like his defensive play, but they don't likely have the pieces to get the deal done. The New York Knicks have eight draft picks from their own, from Dallas, from Washington, from Detroit, from Milwaukee. They can put them all together and put Utah in the position that they want and need to be in if they're going to give up two star players this offseason. And we know how Danny Ainge operates. He he gets what he's looking for. Uh, the question is, will he pull it off again? Uh, part of this, to me, comes back to like cooking, right? I watch a lot of cooking shows, and when you watch like great chefs, they always talk about editing the ingredients you're putting in and understanding what you're trying to get. You're not just reaching into the pantry to get a bunch of things. The problem with the concept at some point of Mitchell is that while he's a great ingredient, it's almost like when you see amateur chefs work with truffle for the first time and they put too much of it in and it kills the whole dish, right? Like you have to have some sort of a plan on what you're doing with everything that you have and to the point that you just made, Otherwise, you're just throwing spaghetti against a wall to see what sticks. There, there are two different teams in this conversation that you just mentioned. One is the Knicks, who just feel like they're pulling everything out of the pantry to try and be exciting and relevant because that feels good. And then on the other side, you have the Heat, who, while they may have a hard time putting together the deal, I at least trust the calculated front office and the coaching staff to look at it and say, hey, we don't have to be first here. We just need to be smart here in what we can present and how we can present the right opportunity. Can we get creative in figuring out a way to bring the right ingredient in to the dish that we're making? That feels a lot stronger to me. Like this, this Donovan Mitchell to the Knicks thing, I can see why it makes the Knicks more relevant. I think it, I can see why it makes them more exciting. I can see why we pay attention to it. I don't think it makes the Knicks a great team. And frankly, if I'm Donovan, I don't want to go to New York and have to deal with trying to lift up the Knicks franchise in any situation that's less than perfect for what I'm looking for because then all of a sudden I'm 25, I'm on my second team, and now all of a sudden I'm that guy that every three years is floating from team to team to team to team while I try and find the right spot for my skill set. It feels like the wrong match on both sides to me. I kind of get that, but I would argue that you're, it depends on whether he cares more about legacy when it comes to moving around or the now. And not a lot of players like being in Utah, and especially when it may, it's been made clear that the team wants to go into a full strip down and rebuild. 
So you could play with the Knicks. You could have a lot of pressure on you, a lot of expectation, but have a spotlight on you, have a team that's trying to win, um, and you might be willing to take that pressure on as a trade-off. Um, I, I do think you also look around the league and you say, the Jazz have made clear that this is not a place to win in the coming years. So if that's the case, where else could I go? Who wants me? Again, we've said this over and over. Part of the complication for this offseason is it was not a good market for free agents. It was not a good market for superstars. So few teams have the cap space and the ability to make the moves. Next year, it opens up a ton. So if you look around and the Knicks are the best people that are looking for your services, it might still be a better solution than sticking around in Utah. Yeah, that's probably like when you're saying Utah also, versus New York. Also, we forgot to mention that his dad is in the Mets director of player relations and works out there. So uh, somehow the Knicks' various teams in all sports are just hiring dads at all turns to try to get the dudes that they want to come there. That is very AAU basketball of them. Yes. You just find a way to bring the dad yes. on staff. And it's like, by the way, now we've got the in. And, and you're right, too. And I've said this a couple of times when it comes to New York. While I don't think that the Knicks are a destination – there are some places that resonate as home for some people. So if if New York and Manhattan and playing for the Knicks resonates with the heart and soul of Donovan Mitchell, then it doesn't matter what it takes to get there, and it doesn't matter what it means for the recipe they're trying to put together. He's going to want to be in the spot that, that really resonates with his heart, and I have nothing but incredible respect for that. I do think on the other side of it, though, the conversation, and, and not even just legacy, although you're right about that, the conversation sometimes about players when they hop team to team and don't have a ton of success with wins and losses, then there becomes even a current conversation of can you win with this guy? I'd hate to see that happen to Donovan Mitchell simply because he went to another bad team. Yeah, I mean, I'm a huge Donovan Mitchell fan. I don't think he's been in the best situation for his skill set, but I do worry that going somewhere like the Knicks where they could find themselves swinging a miss on Brunson and him and Randall and starting all over again, that's a real tough scene as well. Oh, the Knicks fans are either going to be ecstatic or very, very angry in about 18 months. And either way, I'm here for it because either way, it's good for the way we cover <laughs> basketball. In the meantime, speaking of the NBA, we'll keep covering everything you need to know. We'll break down some of the biggest moves and what could happen next with one of my favorite insiders. We'll do that all on Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and as always on the ESPN app. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. So much going on in the world of NBA free agency, chaotic rumors all over the place. So we got a scoop. See what we did? It was a shoop, scoop. It was close, yeah, yeah. Sarah. Like that. I, I like I the, the theme song. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I feel like it was, you know, I'm, I make it a little heavy-handed, but that's part of my charm. Uh, there, there's one of the people that I love to go to on Twitter uh, to get all the great news, and that's you can follow him at Scoop B. Scoop B, Brandon Robinson. Scoop, appreciate you hanging, hanging out with us, man. Uh, you you tweeted out earlier that uh, where are KD and Kyrie going to go? You're going to tell the world today. Have you figured out what the next piece of the puzzle looks like? First of all, before I answer that question, I have to tell you, you guys and your music selection, I love it. Uh, please give the person <laughs> who picked that tune a raise because right. um, they're doing the daggone thing. Secondly, in answer to your question about where they're going, uh, Brooklyn would be um, a safe bet. Um, and not because many people on your network have, are the only people that assured it, but if you go back to uh, what I was saying over the 4th of July weekend, running back is still very logical. 
And that really ties into a lot of different factors. I'd like to use the word informational overload. Um, that was really the case in Brooklyn. Number one, the fact that Kyrie did not get his extension. Number two, um, there's a lot of just, uh, I guess you could say confusion since the all or rather since the trading deadline. And number three, um, yeah, there are teams that are suitors. Um, the Nets don't have to trade Kevin Durant. And from every indication from a myriad of people that I've spoken to, the Lakers wanted Kyrie Irving more than Kyrie Irving actually wanted to go to the Los Angeles Lakers. Happy Friday. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot there. But <laughs> let's go back to when this all went down because the excuses or the explanations I've heard from people about why this would be that they would end up back there are two. One is simply that Kevin Durant was emotional when everything went down with Kyrie and the statements from Joe Psy, et cetera made a trade request that he later regretted and realized he would rather run it back. Secondly, I've heard instead that he did want to leave, and then when he looked around at the landscape and how difficult it would be for most teams in the league to pull off the kind of deal he's looking for, he sort of tucked his tail between his legs and said, all right, I guess the Nets is the best play for me this year. What, where do you see it, it landing? The latter, minus the tucking his tail between the <laughs> legs. That's a grown man. Um, and what I will say to you is um, – Certain teams have fit Kyrie and KD fit Brooklyn. Um, you, you you look at uh, Philadelphia, Joel. Uh, um, you you look at certain teams. Certain players fit certain teams. LeBron and Anthony Davis uh, fit the Lakers. And so when you look at the Nets and you look at Kevin Durant uh, and you look at the landscape, um, yeah, there are teams that could offer things. Personally, I think the best deal that was discussed um, was the Pelicans. Uh, Brandon Ingram and Larry Nance is what the Nets wanted. But I also think that there's some onus on the Nets. Um, the Nets, from an organizational perspective, respectively, um, I feel like had some issues there that were, were kind of frustrating to both Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, namely uh, their assistant coach, Adam Harrington, no longer part of the fold, uh, a close friend of, of Kevin's. Um, also, Eli Carter, uh, a, a guy that played AAU basketball with Kyrie, um, that was, from what I understand, did not get the jab. And then once the mandates were rolled back, um, I'm told that there was some sort of assurance that he would come back. He didn't. And then, of course, uh, Kyrie and his whole situation uh, with um, not getting an extension on so many levels. Um, and, and, and I think that when you look at this, it's a lot of cacophonous noise um, that I think um, you would imagine that 4th of July cookouts, barbecues, um, maybe a little champagne um, would, would figure out. Um, but that wasn't the case at first. Um, and then I just think there were a litany of just different people who offered their opinions that just, I feel like there were a lot of people sitting at a resort, sitting poolside at the poolside bar and just getting, enjoying themselves, I'll just say. And I think you, you got to have got to kind of sober it up a bit. That's where we are right now. So if everybody comes back then, are there any lingering effects in your mind for these players and the team as they try and run it back for a season? You know, it's interesting you, you ask that, Jason, because I feel like for the last few years, everybody just uh, believed uh, that it would be the Nets or Philadelphia uh, representing the Eastern Conference. And what you saw in turn uh, was the Bucks and the Celtics representing the Eastern Conference. And if I'm Brooklyn, I take advantage of the fact that people are kind of counting them out. Um, I think that the Nets on paper have the roster and the personnel uh, to make make that a reality. 
unfortunately, in year one, Kai hurt the shoulder and Kevin was out in year two. Uh, Kevin came back, and then the Nets lost. Where, you know, Harden's hamstring was an issue. Kyrie's ankle was an issue, and they lost to the eventual champion, the Bucks Last year, Boston's defense was just that good. They built a wall, and they basically surrounded Kai and Kevin, and they were missing a playmaker. James Harden was the playmaker they were missing. And to be honest with you, when I look at Ben Simmons, um, he doesn't have to put up 30 or 40 points a game. He needs to shoot. He needs to play defense. And he kind of takes a lot of pressure off of Kyrie and Kevin. I feel like, um, again, those three fit stylistically. Um, to Even the, the talk of, you know, Donovan Mitchell being traded to the, to the Nets. Donovan doesn't fit the Nets if you're, if you're looking to move Ben Simmons to do so. Because you have three scorers. Even though Kai is a point guard by position, he's still a scorer. And when you saw the times where they did have James – with Kai, um, J- James Harden made playing so much easier because of his playmaking ability and the dual threat of scoring and, and commanding a double team. Ben Simmons solves that problem, and I think um, I- it's a good experiment to have. But I, I think also um, it's it's differences that I think that both Kevin and Kai have had with uh, Steve Nash that I'm hoping they figure out, uh, as well as the front office and other people as well. And I think that ultimately um, the Nets should take a page on what not to do um, from watching the Suns with DeAndre Ayton, uh, specifically because he signed that four-year, $133 million deal. You don't want a guy disgruntled having to sign an offer sheet elsewhere, and then you were forced to match it, all because you decided not to give him what he asked for in the beginning. I really think that that is a cautionary tale, and that's why Kai ultimately opted in, because he gave up $14 million last season. It, it's not just Kai's contract. It's a combination of just personnel uh, or creative differences. I also think the Nets – specifically with Steve Nash, wants to create more of a system situation. And when you have two-star acts, at times that can be quite difficult to do. So I think Kenny Atkinson exceeded expectations in Brooklyn, and I think the Nets thought that Steve Nash was going to be Steve Kerr in that system, not realizing that it took a little work to be in that position, as the Warriors have done in winning, winning another championship this season. The Nets, they have the chance to do it. Hope they get it done. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're talking to Scoop B. Robinson about NBA free agency. So if you're convinced that this is going to be a run-it-back situation for the Nets, it does feel like, you mentioned DeAndre Ayton, uh, that sort of ship has sailed, the idea that Kevin might end up with the Suns uh, now that, that that offer sheet has been matched. Um, are there other teams around the league that are still waiting to see what the decision is? And if that's the case, when do we expect to hear from Kevin and Kyrie that they will be back with the Nets? Um, I think that is something with Kevin and Kyrie you may start to see in the next month or so, uh, just their, whether they're appearing somewhere and they, and they take questions or um, they do some sort of Instagram live. Knowing the type of insular people they are, I'm sure that they're going to create their own show, their own post, their own uh, conversation. Um, as far as your question about who I think could, other be, could be suitors, I mean, I spoke to somebody Sunday, and I've said this on other shows. I know it was Sunday because I was in the bed watching The Simpsons at 8 o'clock. It was like 8.03 <laughs> when I got a call. We got a routine. And All right. uh, I spoke to someone on the net side of things. Then I'll give you the edited version. We ain't giving up sugar, honey, iced tea for KD or Kyrie if it's going <laughs> to be some BS. Um, and, 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 they, and they said to me, that was Sunday, they said, and that's the storyline you're going to see on Monday was a little quiet on Monday, and then you kind of saw some of our colleagues 
uh, giving their expertise and their takes on what's going on. And that seems to be the, the growing theme, um, that the Nets aren't just going to take short sales. And I think the Nets realized, and my guesstimation based off of putting everything together from what I've heard and who I've spoken with, um, KD is an all-star, uh, but teams – have to find a mutually beneficial way to get it done. The Nets wanted Scotty Barnes. The Raptors didn't want to give him up. The Nets want Brandon Ingram. The Pelicans aren't trying to give him up, despite the fact that the Pelicans have about, what, six draft picks between trades with the Bucks and the Lakers. So uh, when I look at this situation, it kind of reminds me a little bit of Ben Simmons last year, similar but different in that, of course, you know, Ben Simmons hasn't played for, what, almost two years, to, so to speak, but I think – out of sight, out of mind. I think when you see players play, you can revisit those conversations and kind of pick up where you left off at. But I think as for now, I think it's going to be a little quiet. I think people should really enjoy their pools, uh, enjoy their families, and um, watch sunsets maybe. I don't know. Um, I think it's going to be a little bit quiet for a little while. And enjoy the Simpsons while you're doing it. Also enjoy Scoop on Twitter. Follow him at Scoop B. Scoop, appreciate all the great information, my friend. Keep up the good work. We appreciate you hanging out with us. Thank you guys for the opportunity to be myself. I appreciate you. <laughs> Great work from him. Again, you can follow him on Twitter at Scoop B. Always do, doing good stuff. All right, we got so much to get to. We're going to do it the way only this show can. Quickies coming up next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. It's a Friday edition of Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, presented by Progressive Insurance. That was a mellow version of Friday, Sarah. I didn't go. I didn't go yeah. full in for it. I didn't. I didn't, didn't go, go full Oprah with it. Full just puberty. gave you a, just a little, little, little Friday. Just you know, resting the vocals, making sure they can, they can power through for <laughs> us. It's been a big day across the world of sports. So we're gonna get to a bunch of stuff the way only this show can. It is time for some quickies. If you were excited to watch Tiger this weekend, it was a quickie for you because, let's face it, it has not gone well for the golfer. We all knew that it was going to be a struggle coming back from injury. We've talked a little bit about it on this show, obviously, and what it can mean for him. But this looks like everything you could imagine could go wrong has gone wrong throughout the course of the weekend. He misses the cut. Uh, that's not a huge surprise. But he did, Sarah, speak about St. Andrews and what makes it special. This is what Tiger had to say. Anytime you get the chance to come back and play the old course and in the open, um, it's just it's just special. It really is, and um, the warmth and the ovation on at 18, it it, it got to me. Um, uh, and just the walk, I I felt the guys stop there off off the tee on 18, and I it uh, it was just incredible. The just amount of understanding and respect. Um, from all, all the people that are involved in, in this event that, that come out and support it, uh, the players, uh, the nods I was getting as the players were going out. Um, I looked over there and, you know, Rory gave me a tip of the cap. JT did the same. Um, it, it just, it's just there's something to it that's just different. Yeah, Fitz, like you said, it's not all that surprising that he struggled. Um, he's coming back from a horrific injury and he's just not the same player anymore. But I think what was notable here is it probably will be his final round of the Open at St. Andrews. It, it wouldn't return to the old course, course at St. Andrews until 2027 at the earliest. He would be 51 at that point. 
with his many surgeries and his physical ailments, it's doubtful he'll still be competing at the highest level then. So there was a lot of nostalgia as he walked the end of the course, a standing ovation, other golfers recognizing the moment that it was his farewell. And so I think that really stands out. Obviously would have loved to have made the cut and kept competing, but nine over was well outside. So uh, he will not be sticking around to continue playing over the weekend. Yeah, and I, I think at this point, you know, golf can continue to have conversation about the guys that are actually playing, and we can just appreciate Tiger for what he is. He's been tremendous, but that era is uh, that era is over. All right, let's move to the next story. So the Big 12 had media days this week, and one of the announcements out of all of the controversy that has come from Big, Big 12, let's say drama that's come from the Big 12 and media days, one thing we know is that horns down is still going to be an unsportsmanlike conduct penalty. I, I don't know, Sarah, like – I get it, and I understand where people, you know, the, you've got the protectors of the game, but I, I don't really care if you put horns down in the middle. Like, if a player's playing with some emotion and wants to flip the horns down while they're running into the end zone, I personally don't care. Yeah, it's kind of silly. It's sort of like, do you remember MIA performed at the Super Bowl and gave the middle finger, and it was like a massive big deal and major yeah. fines and all this stuff, and it's like, it's just a finger. I get it. It means something, but to assign a specific value to horns down just seems so absurd. Um, the Big 12 director of officiating, Greg Burks, was taking a question about it, um, was asked if it was sort of, quote-unquote, a dead issue, and he said, listen, I don't own this. It's the same as anything else. It's how you do it, who you do it to and the manner in which you do it and then said Oklahoma Sooners fans please I mean no offense you don't have to send me emails we're just looking at like any other act unsportsmanlike conduct is in there it's about the refs figuring out whether you've done it to the opposing team to the fans to the general er area it's just really silly the specificity with which we have to get into the direction of the fingers being pointed and at whom and where this is one of the like as someone that loves college football, I can't say this loud enough. I don't care if somebody <laughs> does like somersaults and a back handspring and then a Michael Jackson oh, crotch jack grab all in the end zone. So you score a touchdown, celebrate it. I just don't. Yeah, I, it's I, very Hingle McCringleberry every single time, and every single time I'm like, you're you're worrying about the wrong stuff, football. Yeah, I don't disagree. Let's go to the next story. It is a historic day for one of the best of all time. Allison Felix, the most decorated woman in American track and field history, runs her last competitive race tonight. Sarah, this is a really incredible moment. Yeah, so cool. If you go to Google right now on your phone or on your computer, uh, really cool scene where she, she runs across your screen and then it says Olympian, mother, advocate, and up pops uh, Allison, a cartoon of her holding her daughter, waving. She's done some incredible things, particularly for female athletes who also are moms, and including offering childcare at this particular world championship for other athletes that she and her sponsors have paid for. Um, she's been really outspoken about that. And she is just hands down, one of the most dominant, one of the most incredible athletes we have ever had in this country. She was named a captain for this world championships, first one on American soil out in Eugene. And so tonight when she runs the 4x4 mixed, it'll be her last race. And after picking up yet another medal in the most recent Olympics, I was sad that she decided it was time to go. But, you know, ending at home getting the 11 Olympic medals, 18 world championship medals, 20 years of competing. When she wants to hang them up, she's earned it. Yeah. Here's one of the things, though, Sarah, that, that you and I talk about so much, and uh, you've really opened my eyes to. I'm the first to admit that. But every time we talk to great women athletes, just the, the best of the best, and you feel the fight that they've had to make their mm -hmm. sport or their, their work relevant, 
The thing that always hits me is when the best of the best step away in the NFL, we just presume that they're going to go into a TV role, make a bunch of money, smoke some cigars, and have a good life. When the best and the best in the NHL walk away, we just presume that they're going to have a good time and just rely on, on the money they've made. When the best of the best in women's sports walk away, it's always about, well, what are you going to continue to do to help the next generation yeah. of women? Like, well, When does the work end if you're the best of the best? And what's your next job going to be? Because you probably didn't make enough money as a female athlete, despite all of the same time, effort, energy, sweat, injury, everything. And that's something that Abby Wambach has talked about a lot after being honored alongside Kobe and Peyton Manning at the ESPYs. They all retired at the same time, and she felt so proud to be included. And then she walked up the stage and said, oh, wait. Those guys are set, and their kids are set, and their kids' kids are probably set, and I have to start a brand new career, and I'm one of the best to ever do it. And it's part of the reason she got involved in ownership in Angel City, partnered up with Natalie Portman and others for that expansion team in the NWSL because she said, we got to find a way to make pathways for female athletes to get into ownership and other leadership places after they're done competing. So it's not just the end of the road when you retire. Yeah, I think that's just one of the craziest parts about this entire process like because you when you say retired all i can think is like and and tired like i, I just can't yeah. imagine <laughs> the fight that goes into all right i'm going to train i'm going to be the best of the best i'm also going to fight i'm also going to be demeaned in that fight half the time and then as mm -hmm. i continue that fight when i finally get to step away from my greatness then the first thing people are going to ask is how am i going to continue to help the next generation like I don't know. It just feels like that's exhausting at some point. And the point that you make is a really strong one about fit for life. I, I the I, It escapes me which one it was, but I tweeted this during the NBA draft at, at one point when a uh, brother and sister, you know, brother was drafted and his sister had been a top pick in the WNBA draft. And I kept thinking how different their experiences mm -hmm. are when you know that, you know, being the top pick in the WNBA draft means you're going to make some okay money and work your tail off. Being a top pick in the NBA draft means that you can take care of your family and your kids and your grandparents and everybody all at once. It's it's a wild world. There's no easy answer for it, but obviously every time we have these moments, I think it's important to remind everybody the work that always has to be put in. We'll continue the work on NFL Two-A-Days. Going to get into the Miami Dolphins with an expert you know next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. You used to read them on ESPN, but now you get to watch it. And I'm not sure there's anybody better dressed uh, doing his thing on the NFL Network than our guy Cam Wolf joins us. You can follow him on Twitter, at Cameron Wolf. Uh, brother, always appreciate your time. Let's start with some big news today. You know the Dolphins so well. Jason McCourty announced his retirement from the NFL. You, uh, you saw him there with Miami. Uh, what does that retirement announcement mean for the organization, and what impact did he have in the league? Yes, this man, appreciate those good words. Uh, he only had one year in the Dolphins' day, and it only was seven games uh, before going on IR. But when I look at Jason McCourty's career, you know, it kind of is like that quintessential overachiever story. You know, a six-round pick who played 13 years in the NFL, won a Super Bowl. Um, he, played, he, he got a huge play in that Super Bowl they won to uh, the Patriots um, with his brother, Devin McCourty, and that's probably what he'll be remembered by. Um, but I just think a guy who uh, is a consummate pro professional, um, I have an idea of what he's going to be doing next, and, and people are going to see a lot more of him. And uh, I, I think you're going to see a guy who is very intelligent. We know a lot about Devin McCourty because he's been this Pro Bowl safety, but his brother uh, was quite a player in the league himself. So I think that's, uh, that's, a, that's a, a, a move that I think was coming, but I, I think that overall – uh, Jason's career will be remembered, especially in New England, in, in big, favorable terms. 
Sounds like you wanted to break some news, but you're holding off. You're going to let him break it himself, and we respect that. We'll allow it. Uh, let's talk Dolphins. Obviously, the biggest point of discussion is Tua. I saw you retweeting yep. some of his arm strength program this offseason. What are the things that you're going to be looking for week one to say whether this guy has taken the steps that are needed for people to believe that he's their guy? I already got my ruler out to see how long he could throw the deep ball because that's what everybody <laughs> wants to talk about, right? <laughs> um, no, nah, it's, it's interesting how, like, Tua has been, like, seemingly, maybe it's because I'm here in Miami, but seemingly the most talked-about quarterback all offseason. And some of it because, is because a new receiver uh, wants to talk about him on his podcast every week. Uh, but I, I think for me, um, you look at these two new speedy receivers in Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddell, uh, you look at them getting Toronto Armstead, getting a new coach in Mike McDaniel who came with rave reviews uh, throughout the league for what he did in San Fran. And to be honest, there's, the, the pressure's on Tua. Like, it's a make-or-break year for him, seemingly. And I want to see how he handles the pressure. Um, a lot of the excuses, a lot of the reasons over the first two years was that uh, he didn't have the right playmakers around him. And I think a lot of that was true. Well, now that's not a, a reason for it anymore. So I want to see Tua be able to handle the pressure. I don't really care about him throwing it 70 yards down the field, but I want to see him make the plays in the fourth quarter. I want to see him be able to use Tyreek and Jalen the way they need to be used. And I want to see them make the playoffs. This is two straight years for them that they went 9-8. Uh, and eight and miss the playoffs. I think that should be the goal for them, making the playoffs. Uh, and hopefully at the end of the year, we'll have a conclusion on if two is the guy here or not. Speaking of things you want to see in general, Tyreek Hill has been talking a lot. Does the team have any issue yeah. with what they're seeing from him and the amount he's talking? So as of now, no. But I'm talking to people around the building. There was some thought, like, if this continues throughout the season – Maybe this becomes a little bit more of an issue. Uh, but, you know, he's the new guy there. He's their biggest star in some time. I mean, two is a star, but the biggest proven star uh, as far as, like, on-field recognition in a very, very long time. I can't remember the last time. Maybe Ricky Williams, the last time they had a, a offensive star of this magnitude. So they're going to give him some leeway. But my only worry is when, is when that inevitable game comes where Patrick Mahomes goes off for four touchdowns and Tua has a bad day and Tyreek's going on this podcast and says whatever he wants to say mm -hmm. and how that's all received in the locker room. So it's all fun and gravy right now in July, but I, I do have a little bit of worry about that, you know, as we go into the season. But right now they're going to let him do his thing and I guess uh, say what needed to be said. Have Tua call uh, Mitch Trubisky and ask him what it's like every time somebody named Patrick Mahomes does something great and what it reflects on you. We've been through that uh, here in Chicago. Right. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain and Jason Fitz. We continue two a days talking about the Dolphins with NFL Network's Cam Wolf. Um, how much are people talking or not talking about what a wild offseason this was for the Dolphins? Brian Flores sues the team. Somehow it yep. goes mostly under the radar that Tom Brady was going to retire, go to the Dolphins, be an owner and a player, that he was part of this uh, collusion. <laughs> and, like, it kind of died on the vine. I don't know who was in charge of burying that, but they did a fantastic job. How much is that hovering over the start of this season, or has everyone just sort of moved on? Sarah, it's weird being here in Miami because it's like they, they thrive in chaos. Like, they, this team just lives in chaos. If you remember, they had the Bullygate scandal here. They had the coach that was snorting 
uh, a white substance. Uh, I'll just say that uh, on his desk during the the game there, they had the hurricane that they played through. They had a player go AWOL before a game. So it's like just the continual cycle of the Dolphins being in the news because of other things outside of football. So like you said, Brian Flores, the Tom Brady, the everything around it is just kind of like normal stance for, I guess, these fans. And so the fan base seems like they brushed it under the rug. Like you said, national media, it seemed like it was a, a, a popping point for like two days. And then it's like, okay, um, we're, we're done with it. So I, I think they're just ready to see a team uh, win. And so they're willing to deal with all the other chaos, all the other noise, if it means they get a winner. So um, it's very weird. I think you're right. I think if this was another market, maybe in New York, maybe we get a different offseason as far as these stories becoming the, the talk of the league. But I can't – I don't know another team that had as much junk go on as the Miami Dolphins. So I think you're on the money there. Maybe the Commanders. Uh, it's a toss-up, really. Oh, yep, yep. yep. That's, that's a good call. <laughs> yep, the Commanders definitely – even it's one story with the Commanders, but it was, it was, it was a, a heck of a story. <laughs> so, Cam, you know, when you start talking about stories, Mike McDaniel has become a rock star. I never would have expected that just on his personality, but he, you know, up until last year. But now everybody's madly, wildly in love with him. What have been your impressions so far from anything you've seen around him? Uh, the players love him, which, like, that was my big concern. Um, if you see him, and I don't like to stereotype people, but if you see him, he does not look like an NFL coach. Like, I don't know if you guys have seen Money Heist. He reminds me of the professor from Money Heist, if you look at him, just kind of his, his view. And everybody talks about how smart he is and all this. Stuff. So you're like, how does he lead a team? But I talk to a lot of the guys around the team, and they rave about how they, he connects with them, and it's not an inauthentic way. Like, players can see fake and they think that that's just real who he is. And so I think that's something that um, should definitely benefit him. And then for me personally, I guess I had a, a, a fun story with him. Uh, we were heading to the combine on the same flight, actually. And so he gets off the flight. He's wearing, like, Yeezy shoes. He's got, like, a Louis Vuitton bag. And I'm like, dude, like, do you shop yourself? Is this your wife? Like, what? Like, you got to let me know. Coaches don't dress like this in this league. And he's like – and he says with a straight face, like, quickly i just shoplift and he just walks away <laughs> and i'm like this, this is this is who this dude is like <laughs> he's just that, that's his 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 dna so i am eager to see how it evolves you know when they inevitably have some issues you know they lose some games uh to throw some interceptions whatever it is um but right now he's just cool cool mike and everybody loves him, and they're convinced that he's going to solve their offensive issues. So um, he's been anointed before he's even played the game, which is, could be a good thing. It could be a bad thing. Um, but it's all positive vibes inside the building and outside the building uh, revolving around their new coach. Well, if there's anything I know, Cam, you know I love you, buddy, but uh, I'm hoping this team does not go to the playoffs because the Raiders need that spot. Uh, now that we're all – that's a theme tonight from everybody we're talking about. Just, just stay out of the way of the Raiders. As long as you stay out of the way of Ra the Raiders. And I'm going to tell you that the Bears will not be in the Raiders' way for anything. Thank you. I can you, promise Sam. you that the Bears will only – the only way they'll get in your way is by taking a higher draft pick from you. I'm only imagining right. a Bears-Raiders Super Bowl and what that would do for this show. Uh, you guys can follow him on Twitter at Cameron Wolf. Watch him on NFL Network. As always, brother, great work. We appreciate you hanging out with us. Go enjoy a, a nice little Friday evening beverage. Oh, I definitely will. More, multiple. 
appreciate you, Sarah. Appreciate you, Chris. Thanks, Cam. <laughs> Thanks. I mean, I'm, I'm, in my mind, it's going to be something fancy, too. Like, Cam's not drinking cheap beer. It's going to be some sort of nice whiskey bitters. or some sort. Oh, yeah, yeah. be involved. A hundred percent. All right. Uh, by the way, Cam's going to be in the zone, get in the zone, brought to you by AutoZone, get in the zone, AutoZone. In the meantime, we need to get you in the zone on some of what's happened for the Texans. Big news uh, regarding Deshaun Watson. We'll get you the update on it next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Sirius XM Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, presented by Progressive Insurance. Big news today in the NFL. Every week, it seems like we get closer to getting more, at least, resolution in some ways when it comes to the Deshaun Watson situation, Sarah. And uh, now we know today that the Houston Texans have settled their 30 lawsuits uh, from the accusers involved in the Deshaun Watson cases. And this is uh, the in the process of settling. They made it very clear they're not admitting any guilt, as is a common statement when these settlements happen, mm-hmm. but that they feel like this is just the right thing to do for anyone that's been victimized and that they are trying to turn the page, which is a very it, it, like it's a great sentiment on turning the page. That's obviously what the organization wants to do, but it leaves any of us that wanted to turn the page by having some sort of complete information just dangling here because we get nothing. Yeah, in the statement, Texans owners Janice McNair, Hannah, and Kel McNair said, although our organization did not have any knowledge of Deshaun Watson's alleged misconduct and said that they were deeply saddened and shocked when they first learned of the allegations in March 2021. Um, that seems incorrect based on the what we know about the, the person who was a part of the organization who provided the NDA, but um, perhaps those details are some of the things that they're hoping to avoid making it public. Um it was interesting to listen to two of our colleagues talk about this. Let's let's start with Adam Schefter. He was on NFL Live and seemed to me to be pushing forward the idea that the NFL and the Texans had good communication on this, and that's why it was just a matter of let's all move on. What happened today was the Texans settled with the 30 woman who alleged essentially that Deshaun Watson acted inappropriately. They settled with Tony Busby, the attorney who issued a statement. And here's the bottom line. The Texans did not want this to be a prolonged situation. You see what they had to say. This is not an admission of any wrongdoing, but instead a clear stand against any form of sexual assault and misconduct. We hope that today's resolution will provide some form of closure to the parties involved, our fans in the Houston community at large as an organization We'll now turn our focus to the future and doing what we can do to ensure respect for all. And I think really that was the idea of this all along from the Texans standpoint. The Texans feel like the league has looked into their behavior and their activity over the last 16 months and they don't believe that the league has found anything. The Texans have been in contact with the league and I think the Texans felt comfortable that if they move forward here that they would essentially be turning the page and not having this hang over the organization this season. So it fits very specific language. He said the Texans feel like the NFL has looked into them enough. That is giving the perspective of a team that wants to be done with this. Not the NFL has done due diligence on the Texans' involvement in this incident. And that's where Mina Kimes picks up. She was on Pardon the Interruption fill-in hosting today. And like many of us, wants more. 
why isn't the NFL looking at the Texans, yeah. or at least uh, publicly doing so? I mean, it's been over a month since the New York Times reported that the team not only provided Watson with a location to conduct some of these many, many massages, but also furnished him with a non-disclosure right. agreement after one of the women came out in public. Uh, and yet, from the NFL, crickets on the subject yeah. of the team, which I guess shouldn't be surprising given the lenience with which they've treated other teams, like the Washington football team, of course, amidst their own workplace scandal. But it doesn't mean it's right. And if the NFL does care about sexual misconduct, which remains to be seen in this case, they can't just look at the alleged perpetrator. They also have to look at the enablers, too. 100% fits. I mean, it, it's ridiculous to believe. This is sort of like when a team tries to self-punish to get out ahead of the NCAA. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, we'll just uh, dock ourselves, uh, you know, some uh, some team meals. Is that good? Like, no. We know that the non-disclosure agreement came from your director of security after one of the women who he allegedly assaulted posted his number on Instagram and threatened to expose that he was doing these inappropriate and illegal things. We know that you provide him a space to do it. So the idea that you would pay off all of these lawsuits simply because you wanted to prove that you care about standing against sexual assault and misconduct after enabling it, I'm not buying it, and none of us in the media should. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with anything you just said. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. The, the challenge here is, is like, I want to believe because, like, frankly, we talk about this a lot, but I'm such an NFL fan that I want to believe that the league – is has some level of humanity, right? Like they're, they're going to do the right thing for people in the right situations. I know that's naive, but it's so much easier to root for a sport that you believe is rooted in good than rooted in evil. When you see these things, not to say that the NFL is rooted in evil necessarily, I think the NFL is rooted in indifference to anything that isn't money. So frankly, they're going to turn around and say, whatever it takes to end this, just end it. Get it done. And that's a far different statement than saying, you know, we, we care about the, the people involved in this. Like, if the NFL came out, frankly, a, as a league and said we thought the best thing to do was just to, to settle all this so that we could end it and not have to talk about it anymore, I would actually really respect the honesty in that answer, even if it's uncomfortable, because the other part of it is the other way of it. You have to look at it like you're being lied to your face, and you're still just going to be uncomfortable with that. Which we know. We know that we're being lied to about all of this. We know, and to your point from earlier in the show, Fitz, Spain and Fitz, by the way, ESPN Radio, what we've seen across the board for the NFL, whether it's uh, Gruden and the emails, whether it's the Commanders and Dan Snyder, whether it's Watson and the Texans, Watson and the Browns, they don't want to be transparent. They don't want to open anything up to the conversation that involves actual emails, files, you know, Congress getting people to be subpoenaed to have to speak in ways that incriminate themselves. They just want to use money and power and status as the most popular league to bury everything. And at some point, it should matter. But that's very hard to convince me that it will ever matter for as much as people love the sport, myself included. I think that's part of the reason that ultimately I really hope Congress is able to hold Dan Snyder to the fire on being subpoenaed because, frankly, I'm so tired of the NFL just being able to hide all the information they want to hide, pay off everybody they want to pay off, and then just continue business as normal. I at least want some level of accountability someday on the league from 
something. Maybe I'm just dreaming. Coming up, we'll turn our attention next to the L.A. Chargers. That's going to be painful. Continuing our two-a-day coverage around the NFL, Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. All right, let's get some insight on the Chargers. And to do that, we're joined by Chris Harey. Uh, you can check him out, CBS Sports LA, Sports Anchor, Chargers Weekly Podcast. Chris, uh, as a lifelong diehard Raiders fan, I think the Chargers are the best team in the AFC West, and they're going to make me drink all year. Can you at least give me some reason for hope? I feel like you're doing that. I think this is like a reverse psychology situation here, right? Is that, is that what we're doing? The Raiders, I, I was at that game in Week 18, and it still is, I think, to date the craziest fourth quarter and overtime I've ever seen. And what a way to start this season. Week one against the Raiders, you kind of pick up where you where you ended last year, but this time at SoFi Stadium. I tell you this, the, the Chargers have gotten markedly better on defense. You could argue that Justin Herbert is a top three, top five quarterback in the NFL. Um, but all that said, everybody else got better in the division, right? Especially your Raiders with Josh McDaniels and Devontae Adams and Chandler Jones and we know about Russell Wilson. We know about the Chiefs because the Chiefs are the Chiefs. Um, so it's going to be a battle. And I would not be surprised if three teams come out of that division and make the playoffs. Yeah, that's the tough thing about this. You could take steps forward with a young quarterback and a really promising team, but you look around and you're facing a bunch of tough competition. In your Chargers Weekly Podcast, you talked about comparing Justin Herbert to Andrew Luck. Take us through some of the similarities that have you choosing that as, as your comparison. Well, you know what? It was fascinating because you know I do the I do the uh, podcast with Matt Bunny Smith, who's the play-by-play voice, and he was just referencing the fact that he listened to that Andrew Luck uh, narrative podcast. And there's just so many eerie similarities from both playing in the Pac-12 to their stature to the fact that Tom Telesco uh, actually drafted Andrew Luck in 2012, and he was a member of the Indianapolis Colts' uh, front office. And then you know, eight years later. Um, they go from Philip Rivers to Justin Herbert, where, you know, the Colts went from Peyton Manning to Andrew Luck. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of similarities. The big difference is what Tom Telesco has done the last two years, and that's protect Justin Herbert at all costs. You bring in Corey Lindsley, an all-pro center. You get Rashad Slater, first-team all-pro as a rookie. Matt Filer, who's been so solid as the left guard. And then you draft Zion Johnson this year. So you're doing everything you can to protect Herbert and let him do what he does, making everybody else better. So I think that's the one glaring difference is the fact that they are protecting him with an offensive line where Luck was so beat up throughout the, his very short career. Do you think that the coaching staff will change anything about their aggressiveness when it comes to fourth down based on last year? You know what? I think they will just because the defense is going to be different. You know, When you have Derwin James – by him. So he did do so many things, guys, last year. He played like five different positions. And Brandon Staley's talked about this uh, continually throughout the offseason. You can unlock Derwin James more when you have Khalil Mack and Joey Bosa up front. When you bring in J.C. Jackson and add him to that secondary. When you draft J.T. Woods to play high with Nas Adderley. Not, uh, you know, Derwin can play close to the line of scrimmage. He could do a lot of different things. So I think he'll have more trust in the defense. So that, that doesn't mean they're not going to be aggressive. But I think from a special teams perspective with the punting and, and the defense, I think you will see a, a little bit of a different fourth down strategy. That doesn't mean they won't be aggressive, though. 
It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're talking Chargers as we continue two a days, talking to Chris Hayry, who uh, has the Chargers weekly podcast. So you look around, you know that there's a ton of great competition in that division. Where is the biggest weak spot for the Chargers that they haven't been able to get the right pieces in the offseason and they will struggle against that great competition? Well, I think there's there's two things that – that you need to look out for in training camp. And that's identifying who that running back two is going to be. Austin Eckler had 20 total touchdowns last year, but he's not the biggest of guys. And they really struggled to run the football when they needed to. You know, uh, Fitz, you know that, that game where they went for it on their own 18, fourth and one mm-hmm. up the middle, they couldn't get it. And it kind of changed the game. So drafting Isaiah Spiller, I think they're hoping that Isaiah Spiller is the guy that will take over as that no question running back two. And then I mentioned the offensive line as a whole. The, the, the right tackle position is still a question mark. And we know what Max Crosby did to Storm Norton in week 18 last year. Trey Pipkins is a guy who I think is going to take that next step. Third-year guy. Um, there, is he 2019? So I think he's entering his fourth season now. Small school kid working out with Duke Mannyweather this offseason and Rashawn Slater. The, the Chargers are hoping that that fifth spot is the spot that's you know, if you play down the, the middle at right tackle and you have those elite players across the line, Justin Herbert should be just fine. Yeah, uh, by the way, Max Crosby versus Storm Norton definitely feels like a WWE matchup from the early 90s. I'm just saying, I'll die on it. Gladiators, yeah. Yeah, I mean, definitely. That changed the game. Yeah, that changed the game. <laughs> All right, so obviously every time we talk about the Chargers, we talk about L.A. And, and what they really mean there. As good as this team is, is it starting to result in a better foothold in the local market? You know, the thing about L.A., and, you know, I worked for the Lakers for nine years. There's two teams. It's the Lakers and Dodgers and really everybody else here. And I think the the cool thing about L.A. is that there's enough pie to go around, right? But if the Chargers, you have the quarterback, and if he can consistently get this team to the playoffs, um, I think you're going to see them gain an even stronger foothold than they have right now. Um, they're building a new practice facility in El Segundo, but it starts with number 10. I mean, Make no mistake about it. it, it you play in the SoFi Stadium. Um, if Justin can get this team to the postseason, for as good as he's been in his first two years in the league, he doesn't have a playoff appearance. And I think that's the missing link this year. If you can get to the postseason, make some noise, I think you really set yourself up for success this next decade. Well, we know L.A. loves a star, and he certainly can be That's one. true. Um, despite, I, I believe, still not owing a, owning a single pair of jeans, is that still the case? It's weird. It's weird. I, I think, I, you know what? He's he's such a character, man. Like he he is very like reserved, but his his teammates absolutely love him. He defends them to the death, um, and he lets his play free, speak for himself. He's such a, a unique superstar in that regard, Quirky, and he's yeah. very like dry and funny too. You know, so like it, it's fun to kind of see him evolve as a as a professional too in year three. You mentioned that he's very chill, and Mina Kimes' profile of him was great. But I wonder, will that get in the way of that next step towards superstardom that can help drive fan interest, or is it just a matter of playing good football? Well, I think it's both. And, and also, make no mistake, Chargers fans absolutely love Justin and the way he presents himself and just the unbelievable splash plays that he makes. So. You know, I mean, just can you guys imagine if the Chargers win the Super Bowl and Justin Herbert is is leading the way, that guy can do no wrong. And, right. and I, I think he has the superstar qualities. He's a young kid. It looks like he's gotten like 
20 pounds bigger this offseason. I'm sure that's I'm, I'm embellishing a little bit, but I mean, he, he looks bigger, stronger, and you know, it, it is quite amazing. Philip Rivers talked about it. you go from Rivers to, to Herbert, whereas you know, the Browns have had like 20 some odd starters in the last three decades. It's pretty remarkable to have a, a guy under center, and it's so hard to find that franchise quarterback. The Chargers have really seamlessly gone from Rivers to Herbert. Yeah, you're leaving up Breeze before that, too. This is why I drink. All right, watch and him. Breeze. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, CBS LA, you can check him out. Listen to him on the Chargers Weekly Podcast. Chris, I hope you guys have a great year out there. I hope it's wonderful and it results in second place. That's all I'm saying. Now, we appreciate <laughs> hanging out with us. Hey, you come out come out week one, man. Raiders Chargers, let's go. That sounds like that's, an invite, I'm in. Put I'm in. The there we go. That's all I needed was the invite. Let's. Uh, the drinks are on me. That's all there because we'll need them after the game. Uh, appreciate it. All right, I'm in. Thanks, Chris. See you guys. Now that he's gone, sir, I'm not going to that game. There's no way. I don't think that that's going to start. Like, I don't want to watch the, my season start the wrong way, and I don't feel good about anybody taking on the Chargers this year. I'm out. Like, I, I'd rather watch that in my house. Like, I can't, I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not emotionally stable enough to take a week one butt kicking. You know, that's just <laughs> – speaking of emotionally stable, I'm not emotionally stable because y'all, life kicked my butt today. I'm going to tell you the weirdest story of something I've ever been involved in in 24 hours, how it went from good to very, very weird suddenly. Plus, maybe weird is the word we can use for the Knicks and what they're trying to accomplish. We'll tell you more about it next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Sirius XM Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, presented by Progressive Insurance. I am 14 minutes away from saying, hey, bartender, myself. Tune into an <laughs> NL battle tonight, tomorrow night. Giants host of Brewers, presented by Progressive Insurance. <laughs> what, what, what was there? You'll be looking in the mirror. Hey, bartender. Yeah, exactly. I'm going <laughs> to look in the mirror and be like, hey, bartender. I like the way I make my drinks. Uh, the DNL battle presented by Progressive Insurance Coverage begins at 6.30 p.m. Eastern on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. You actually raise a really good point that I'm totally going to go off the rails here for a second. But it's always wild to me because, as you know, I am very frugal, right? So yes. now I have the debate because as a frugal person, my mind is like, let's just make myself a drink and sit down and have a drink. But then I look around, I realize that I'm sitting, you know, in my house on a Friday night with Annabelle just watching TV and having a drink. That seems like that's problematic <laughs> at times. Or I can go to the dive bar that's like three or four blocks away and meet somebody and pay for drinks. But then I got to pay for drinks and I have to be slightly social in a bar, which I don't love. So it's kind of a lose-lose. Could you have someone over to your home? Yeah, probably. That's probably a fair. I think it's fine to drink at home if it's not, you know, too many. Did I ever tell you the story about how someone sent me this, like, extremely nice, expensive Bartesian cocktail machine oh, with no yes. note? No, and I, didn't I know you still have no idea where it came from, and I have yet to use it because I haven't had people over, and I'm not going to like sit at home and make a super fancy cocktail using this machine that I first have to figure out how it works. Uh, so maybe we could solve our problems by just moving in together. You, me, That's Brad, fair. four dogs, lots of drinks. <laughs> I think this is this is a perfect. Uh, now we're rolling. <laughs> I, I asked Brad on social media today if I could be his yacht buddy since you know Ooh, he pointed yeah. out he's an internet billionaire, and I said, "Well, can right. I be your internet buddy on your internet yacht?" Because I figure if you're an internet billionaire, you got to have one. But I like your point. You know, I had one of those. Wait, you didn't? Did he? Did he answer? <laughs> he said only on the internet. So oh, I, I think <laughs> we, we've got a pretty good. I think we've got a pretty good uh, understanding so far. I had one of those Keurig made the Drinkworks machines, and I have a friend that works for Keurig, and uh, I was using them all the time. They're great. Like, it, just like Keurig, they had the cocktail in it. All you had to do was pop the thing in. It had the liquor yeah. in it already, made the drinks. And then Devin, our normal producer, got one for Christmas last year, and he messaged me, and he's like, did you know these were 
they, they're done. They were discontinued. I had no <gasps> idea. No. And so they actually, to Keurig's credit, they were like, hey, send us back your machine. We'll give everybody a full refund. If you have one, you'll get you all your you money go. back. And it's just very nice of them. But it reminds me that every time I think one of these like devices that will make me a cocktail is going to be the future, it never really lasts. So you'll have to let me know if the Bartesian thing actually is like, is is it delightful, delicious, and worth it? That's that's because I need a drink tonight. tonight after the day that I had because you know my day started off really strong. We mentioned at the beginning of the show I was pretty sure <laughs> that I was about to be a really famous actor, maybe one step closer to the to the EGOT, you know, because I had my chance to do a cameo in the new Walker Hayes video songs called Y'all Life, and not every song is for everybody. I get it, but you know the SEC put out a tweet about it. That they deleted, I don't know, minutes later because fans were all over it. Now all the media sites, like the big leads got articles on it. Mm -hmm. But what's funny to me is like, look, like I said, not every song's for everybody. And, you know, Walker's had some tremendous success in the last year. So uh, what I think is is funny is I'm reading some of these comments coming on, and they're really, really harsh to what the song is. And I'm thinking, hey, there's an audience for it somewhere because it's getting a ton of views and ton of clicks already, so, you know, maybe everybody's being too hard on Walker. I'm yeah. being sensitive. I mean, I, listen, I tend to be someone who says music is very subjective. And as a, my good friend Jason Fitz says, don't yuck someone's yum. So I try not to yuck people's yums when it comes to music, just internally judging. But I may or may not have talked about how the Applebee's on a date night song was the bane of my existence. And basically that every single creative director for the entire year of 2021 was like, yep, let's just have the video of, or, or the commercial for our product be the Burger King mascot slash bank teller slash Apple Peas goer slash dog do a TikTok dance. It was like somebody in there think of something more creative. And then if you remember, there was that game where they couldn't balance the sound of the analysts on the sideline and the Applebee's guy, that Walker Hayes guy mm -hmm. performing on the field. And all you could hear was yeah we fancy like Applebee's while they're trying to break down the game that was like full inception of like the commercials becoming the game we were watching so I can understand why people are a little bit scared about y'all life taking over y'all's lives yeah well and if there's anybody thick-skinned enough to handle it it is Walker it took him a long time to get where he is but then the other part of it is he's a massive Alabama fan massive so when they started including the song the Applebee song when they started including Fancy Like in the pregame role, you know, down in uh, Tuscaloosa, he was so ecstatic because he's like, oh, my God, my favorite team is listening to my song. Yeah. And then fans petitioned the team to get rid of it beforehand. <laughs> and all of a sudden it was gone. So he's dealt with this like he's, he's got yep. thick skin, you know, for sure. What about so, you, though? How oh, is yeah. it affecting you, Fitz, that I you started out? excitedly retweeting people who spotted your cameo and the end of the day you're now a part of this thing that scc fans are trashing yeah well look at the end of the day god do i look pretty i mean i look tan the polo fits well like it's a good look i i feel like i really brought the performance i can't help the overall uh, the the reception of a movie in the review i can Fair. only make sure that i do my role your to the best is, of my ability well so. i mean to that point we did ask people which video vixen performance is the big winner was it your performance in y'all life because we're not counting your appearances as a band member in the band perry uh as applicable to the video vixen category uh, you received 31.5% of the vote for your appearance in Y'all Life. Unfortunately for you, I blew the way the competition with 60.7% votes for 
for my performance in Ladies Love Country Boys, the Trace Adkins video, and about 8% in the uh, Italian Laura Paucini video. Um, I think it's safe to say that um, you're better as the band member and I'm better as the video vixen. Well, I was kind of surprised, too, because I saw you post a video. Like, you went for a dramatic turn in one of them. Like, it looked like... There was yes. a, like I wasn't really asked to act like I was modern day acting where you just basically you <laughs> are yourself and you let it be what you are. Because as they you know, they said, hey, just be an over the top announcer at a high school football game like that's not really asking me to do much. No. Right. Like I can just... hear your performance in the video based on your acting. I think you did a fine job. I could hear you squealing. Uh, in reaction to the fake high school football play you were reacting to in the video through my screen. I mean, all they like when they said, "Hey, we needed a, a deep pass downfield, three, two, one." All I did was call it like I was watching a Raiders game. So you know, I'm sure somewhere <laughs> if you could actually see the footage, you would see my mouth say, "Car drops back, heaves it in the air." Like I, there was no acting here. This was just basically what I do on Sundays when I'm yelling at my TV. I'm not sure if that's good or bad. I I I, I don't know. 100%. Somehow both. Yeah, somehow both. As Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, quickly do want to make sure that everybody's caught up. The rumor mill is still circulating. There is no new news, but the Knicks and Donovan Mitchell seem to be dating. Sarah, you said something earlier that I think is really important here. Like, none of this is going to have a quick resolution, right? So basically, all of us should just, lie, just stay on the hook for the next two weeks while the Knicks and the Jazz figure out what reality looks mm -hmm. like. Yeah, because right now, the Knicks know that they have the pieces that Utah wants. Utah knows that the Knicks have been courting Mitchell for a long time and that his father works across town for the Mets and they would love to be reunited in the same city. You want picks, you want rookie scale players, you want financial flexibility if you're Utah because you're stripping everything down, getting rid of Gobert and Mitchell. And there really isn't another suitor out there that can offer what Utah is looking for. Now, New York knows that. So they're going to sit around and be like, we're not going to get anged. We already saw the T-Wolves get aged, and we don't want to get aged too. Yeah, I mean, that's the, the weirdest part of all of this is the Jazz are just going fully into wild. Like, if you'd have asked me six months ago what the future of the Jazz looked like right now, I never would have expected this. And so now you got to ask, what's it actually going to take to get this done? Because if both teams really desperately want it to happen, then at some point there's going to – somebody's going to have to play yep. – you know, somebody's going to have Blink. to cross the line first. Mm -hmm. Like, this is – all just the modern NBA is just one huge game of chicken. But Donovan Mitchell will be hanging out with Freddie and Fitzsimmons tonight. Uh, you don't want to miss that. Get Stick around. Clarity. They'll be next yeah. up. This was Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Have a happy Friday, y'all. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.